Our talk today is on generosity. And I, I'm doing something a little different today. Um, I think it's mostly just going to be stories that I tell. <laughs> um, generosity, to begin with a little preface, this is an edge for me. And I realized how much of an edge it was the more I tried to prepare for this talk. And I can think of at least two specific ways it feels like a current edge. One is in my relationship with my partner. You know, whenever we have difficulties and we talk through what we're feeling and we talk through what it is that we feel is an issue, it always feels at the end, always, most of the time, it feels at the end of it that the bigger, the biggest underlying challenge is feeling a certain type of generosity to the other person. So this is, you know, there's so many ways of using the word generosity. Here I mean generous enough to see the other person's position without being stuck in your own, right? That's often what I mean here. You know, can I really see it from their perspective? And, you know, sometimes I find myself just wishing, I wish they could see it from my perspective. Could, if they could only see it this way, and I realize, like, oh, wait, I could, I could be doing that myself, right? Um, and it's amazing how sometimes that thought doesn't occur to me. You know, I'll just be wishing for the other person to see it from my perspective. And the other thing is, this is a little different. It's generous enough. I want to be generous enough, and I think we could be generous enough to give of ourselves when the other person has a need. And some of that is seeing it as a need, right? Like you might see the way someone expresses something as like an attack or something that you're taking personally or as an affront or, well, you're only doing that because you don't blah, 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 or blah, blah, blah. But if we can see it as a need, then we have this opportunity to be, gen to be generous toward that need, to kind of wrap around that need and try to take care of the need. Anyway, so that's in relationship. The other thing that I, and I don't, I say this is an edge for me because this is not something I have perfected. <laughs> um, the other one I want to say as an edge for me is, is financially, right? Um, I am fickle in my feeling of financial generosity. And sometimes this varies as like year long patterns, you know, some years I'm very generous. I'll notice that. And then there are other years, whole years, when I feel less so. But it also takes place, you know, kind of on the micro level. If I go to a restaurant or a coffee shop, sometimes I tip a lot. And sometimes I only give what I think is like the required amount. Um, sometimes if I'm at a counter, I'm like, well, this is counter. This is not a time when I'm going to tip. And sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, these people probably need money more than I do. And I tip. And it's just, it varies so much how I respond in those circumstances. And I think it doesn't have anything to do with the service I receive or the other person on the other side. It's mostly an internal state, right? So why are these things true? Why do I change so much from back and forth in my fickle feeling of generosity? Why am I sometimes in a relationship able to feel like I can wrap around uh, the other person and see them as needing something that I can help with. And why, why is it sometimes an attack? So I'm exploring these things. 
Um, and since these are explorations, since this is an edge, I just want to say I'm, I'm going to be posing more questions than giving answers today. <laughs> you know, I might, I'm going to share my own perspective on these things, but I'm still working with all of this. Uh, so I want to name that, especially the things I'm going to pose today, they're, 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 they're live ideas with me. Uh, and in, in this way, I also, I'm going to recruit you all to, you know, I'm going to ask these questions and I'm going to ask for your responses at times during this, uh, during the sharing too. So I'll start with a personal story. This is something that came up as I was preparing for this talk. And it comes up over the course of years. It comes up pretty regularly for me. It's something that happened during, um, I think it was my very first silent retreat at Spirit Rock. So this is a while ago for me. And at the end of the talk, you know, this is the end of a silent retreat. I think it was, I can't remember how many days it was, but it was a bunch of days and we're finally, uh, hearing the talk at the end where they're asking for teacher Dana and Dana for the support staff. And I asked a question and, you know, we, we don't get to talk very much uh, during this. And I, this might have been the first time I'd asked a question to the group. And I asked, I said, hey, you know, when I signed up, I, I gave more than the required amount. And I want to know, did, you know, where did that, did that go to teacher Dana and Dana for the support staff that were being asked for an hour? Did that go to something different? And I was told, oh, that went for scholarships for the retreatants instead. I said, oh, okay, thank you. And someone came up to me later and they thanked me for the money I'd given because it allowed them to attend the retreat. And when they did that, I felt two things. I felt a little happy but it was mostly happy to have been recognized for what I'd done. And I also more, more, more so, the more dominant emotion was that I felt kind of sheepish and a little embarrassed. And it was because I realized, like, I, I had asked that question partly in earnest. Like, I really did want to know, okay, if I've given some money already and we're being asked for that uh, is is it going into this pile or this pile but there was a part of me that was asking the question to kind of to kind of be recognized for having given an amount that was more than the sort of minimum amount that i'd had to give and what was really what's really ironic if i sit back here is what made me feel embarrassed was actually being recognized for the thing i'd done so I'd done this because some part of me did feel like it wanted to be recognized. And when someone's actually saying like, and they were, they were saying this in such earnest, like this person came up to me and they weren't trying to call me out at all. Like they could have rolled their eyes and been like, oh boy, here's someone who wants attention for giving more than the, you know, on the sliding scale being, you know, not giving the minimum amount. But instead they were entirely genuine in their gratitude. They're like, what you did helped me attend this retreat. And I really want to thank you for that. And, you know, I was being recognized and it felt really uncomfortable. So there's a puzzle there, right? Why did it feel so uncomfortable in the moment when I was actually getting the thing that I'd secretly wanted? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just stay there for a moment and leave that question there. 
why does it feel you can probably all relate to this in some way there's an awkwardness when someone thanks you for this thing and you feel uncomfortable but yet that's actually what i've been trying to seek out what's what's going on there so now i'm going to tell you a totally different story that i feel is related in some way this comes from sylvia borstein in her book pay attention for goodness sake She's relating a story about general in her generosity chapter, and I'm just going to read it out loud. My friend Paul was driving across the United States from San Francisco to Massachusetts. So this is Sylvia's friend, Paul, and a new job. So he's driving across country to get a new job when he got the news that the National Bone Marrow Registry was trying to locate him. Several months earlier, Having met someone whose life had been saved by a bone marrow transplant and learning that people with no kinship relationship at all can be a compatible match for each other, Paul had donated a sample of blood for his testing. So he had sort of entered this registry months earlier. So he's on the drive and he gets and he learns that people are trying to contact him. When he phoned the registry from Western Kansas, he was told that his sample had matched a person in New York. Uh, who was acutely ill and needed a transplant. He phoned his new employers to postpone his arrival for three days, drove to New York, checked into the hospital, and spent three days there, one for preparation for the surgery, one for the bone marrow transplant, one day recuperating, and then he finished his drive to Massachusetts. Paul told me, me meaning um, Sylvia, <laughs> the story of the transplant when we first met almost a year later. He said that he knew that his recipient was still living and that if both parties wanted to meet one year after a successful transplant, each can learn who the other person is so they could meet up and learn about each other. But Paul's response was this. I don't want to know, Paul said. I'm having such a good time not knowing. I pass people in supermarkets and I think maybe that's my person. Or I think about the man sitting next to me on a bus or the young girl looking out the window of a plane whom I see just in passing on my way to the back of the plane. And I think maybe that's my person. Since I don't know for sure, I can imagine that everyone is my person. It's much better this way. Okay. So there's my story, right? Where I'm being thanked and I'm feeling really uncomfortable and I'm kind of recognizing the reasons I had mentioned this at all. Then there's Paul's story. I just, before I go into this, I want to, I want to pose this question to the group and you can respond. Um, you can do the raise your hand thing. If you click reactions at the bottom, you can raise your hand or you can, um, you can type it into the chat. If you have a response that you just want to chat about, my question to you is this. What strikes you as different between these two stories? And if you need a prompt, here's a specific one. Why do you think Paul and I felt such different things here? to the meeting chat.
extraordinary. It says sense of self. Yeah. Yeah. The scope, attachment. Perhaps you were not being expected to thank be thanked personally. That's true, I wasn't. I didn't know how it was going to feel if someone actually came up to me. Sense of self. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone want to speak a little further uh, about what they'd said? If anyone wants to, you're welcome to explain it by raising your hand. But if you just want to leave it at that too, that's fine. Karina says, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure you're that different from Paul. What if Paul didn't want to be disappointed by the person he donated to? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. What if they would have turned out to be really unpleasant? That's true. You know, that, that is possibly an underlying motive here. Paul wasn't being recognized directly. Uh-huh. So perhaps he didn't have to deal with what it's like to be recognized for what he did. I felt bad about the dana and the other person felt good. Yeah, I did feel bad about the dana. Why do you think so? Bruce, I see your hand up. You want to go ahead and unmute? Can you unmute yourself? I think I would rather be anonymous because I wouldn't want people to know how much I want to be recognized. Because yeah. I feel embarrassed about, really, I really want to be recognized. But so I don't want people to know it. I, I think you're onto something. I think that there is, and I'm just going to put it this way for now. Um, I think there is a cultural value to being generous in a sort of humble state without calling attention to yourself. Yeah. And I'd suddenly been kind of called out for not really going with that. You know, I, I, I had kind of said something that I wanted to be recognized and it wasn't that the person was trying to do that to me. They were being completely honest, but it sort of forced me to be that way to myself. Right. And it's human to want to be recognized. And what's that? And it's human to want to be recognized. It's it's what to be wanted to want to be human. human human yes it is normal it absolutely is yeah yeah so uh, I know there are a couple other responses here I'm having trouble adjusting my window here Danny says it's a difference in where you are leaning into intention versus having a mixed intention yeah I totally agree with that it's also because it's partly because you weren't expecting to be recognized, but also because you didn't really know you had given to this scholarship. It's true, I didn't know I'd given to the scholarship fund. Yeah. Cal. Yeah, Aravind, thank you for a great talk. I really appreciate that. Um, when I listened to Tuary on Thursday night, we talked about generosity. Um, he framed it as letting go, and that really made a very big difference for me in understanding generosity. Um, using your example, you were still attached to the giving part, and uh, Sylvia's friend's example was perhaps not attached to it. Anyway, that, those are my thoughts. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I think that's right. There is an attachment thing here. I, I think a lot of what comes up when I think about generosity is the extent to which we're clinging to something, either clinging to a sense of identity, you know, or, you know, believing in, uh, believing in a small sense of self rather than a connected sense of self. There's a lot, and you're right, there's a letting go that really um, shifts us from one to the other. 
there, there's another thing that I want to mention um, that I think is important in, in maybe why we felt things were different. Paul took time to enjoy the benefit he was given. In fact, he sort of multiplied that over and over and over again with every person he'd run into for a while. He got this, he got a new sense of pleasure that, hey, this could be the person who benefited. That was never part of the cocktail of emotions for me. There was, there was a happiness that, you know, in some abstract way, that there was this person coming up to me and smiling and saying something kind and, and feeling good to, in, in my presence. But there was never really this happiness that someone had gotten an opportunity to receive teachings that were meaningful to them and that the world was a slightly better place for their practice and that I'd had some part in that. And I think that's an important part of it. Yeah, Maria, there'll be an opportunity toward the end also to talk to talk more. Um, I, I noted that you you raised your hand, and I want to give you that opportunity. There'll be it'll be a, a little bit after our, our uh, breakout groups that we'll have another opportunity. I hope to get to hear you. And it's also something that that was just brought up, which is I, I got caught in a cultural value. You know, we're, we're taught not to seek out praise for being virtuous in some way. And I'd been caught out in some way, maybe caught out just to myself. I don't think that was a part of what they were feeling. You know, and I, I, I think there's something there. And I, I want to interrogate that cultural value a little bit. Where we're taught not to seek out um, praise for being virtuous. In fact, I want to, I want to ask you the question now, what do you think is behind the idea that we shouldn't take credit for the good things we do. We can probably all feel that idea. And if you hear someone kind of boasting, you, there's, it, it's uncomfortable, it's cringy, right? To hear someone talking a bit too much about a good thing they did. What's behind that value that we've all internalized? And I'll leave you to your own reflection on that. Um, I don't think there's another time to, to go out for questions, unfortunately, before we have to break. And I want to do another story or two. But think about that. When people say something like, I'm just doing my part. If someone, you know, if they're thanked for doing something, they say, I'm just doing my part. It sounds humble. And it sounds like they're trying not to be recognized in a way for what they did. Hey, I'm just doing what, what everyone should do. And there is a virtue in that response. But, you know, there's, there's a cultural value here that I, I don't know if, it's, if it has a lot of merit. I think the example might exist primarily so that everyone else doesn't have to suffer from seeing the example of a person more generous than themselves. We're spared the discomfort of seeing like a goody two-shoes overly virtuous person by having this cultural value like, hey, keep it down. I wonder if that's why it exists. It's so ingrained in me that it's hard for me to even 
dive into this further. So I, I'm really just speculating here. There may be there may be more to this, and if if you think there's more to it, I'd like to hear from you when we go to the group discussion too, because I'd like to be challenged in that. So I want to tell you another story uh, before. Uh, oh gosh, I have three more stories. I'm not going to be able to get through these. Okay, I've got to pick and choose here. All right, I've got one. Uh, this is a story from my previous job um, when I used to work uh, in international development. And I worked uh, mostly in sub-Saharan Africa, but there was one time when I had an opportunity to do a study in India, and it was on farmer finances. And it was a big survey where we went into all these small villages in, in a part of South India. And we learned you know, about people's earnings and what people spent money on. And it was, you know, the idea was to try and figure out if there are ways of helping people uh, not, not become financially ruined uh, when they were growing crops. I remember, though, there was this one day we went into this village and we, you know, we met, as soon as we walked into the village, this one guy kind of came forward and it became really clear he was sort of, he had this role as kind of like, you know, like the head of the village or one of the big, more important people in the village. And he greeted us and he welcomed us and he asked us why we were there and we told him. And he, you know, he took, he looked at someone next to them and he said, go get blah, blah, blah for the, our guests. And, you know, so like we had, you know, someone gave us biscuits and things. And I always feel bad when that happens, but it's such a part of the tradition that like, you know, so, you know, that it, it, it's something I'd gotten used to at that point. So we thanked him and we ate the biscuits and, you know, we sat down and we did this and, you know, various people went out and surveyed, including him. And when I came back that evening and I was reviewing uh, what was said in this village, I saw that uh, this guy um, who, who clearly had some important role, he, he earned something, he earned about 30,000 rupees in the last year. Now, 30,000 rupees is about $360. Uh, in the past year, and even in a village in South India like that, where expenses are lower and there, there are a couple, there are a bunch of things that are different. That's a really small amount. And I also learned that that same summer he had spent five hundred thousand rupees to throw a party for his his daughter's wedding. That's about six thousand dollars. And he had thrown this party for the village, and I was thinking. What? You know, this guy earns $360 in the past year and he spends 6000 on his daughter's wedding. And so my first thought is like, whoa, this guy, you know, he might really like to show off. That was like the first thought that entered my head. And then the second thought that occurred to me is like, this poor guy, he's pretending to still be wealthy. And he, you know, because he's got this big role in the village and it probably feels really painful when he has to give that amount of money up to keep up this illusion. And that was the second thought I had. But instead of like going with these thoughts, we actually had an opportunity to go back the next day. And I actually interviewed him. And I, I mentioned this to him. And the truth is neither of these things were true. And what it was was this. He was like, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, about the amount of money he'd earned. He was completely open about that. There was actually a group of people that were kind of walking around and surrounding, and I wanted to get some privacy from them so that I could ask him a personal question. He's like, no, 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 you can ask me anything around anyone. And so I was like, okay. So it's like, I noticed this amount of money, and I noticed this expenditure, 
And I just wanted to know, you know, how did, how did this come about? How did it feel? Was it difficult? And he's like, oh, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I earned about 30,000 rupees, you know. And he, like, talked to one of his friends who was nearby. Isn't that right? I sold about this many bags of rice. And they're like, yeah, 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 you sold about that much. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about, it was about 30,000 rupees, 360 dollars. He's like, yeah, and that wedding? And he just, like, grinned. He started glowing. And he's like, yeah, you know, this is, we, uh, let me tell you all the things we did for this wedding. And he just got into the story of like, we were able to give away this many bowls of rice to all the people who uh, come and don't have enough. And, you know, we had this line and everyone was serving them. And then we had this big party for everyone in the village. And, you know, we gave away this and we gave away that. And it occurred to me after hearing that story and going back several times to, to other villages, that there was a completely different ethos at play here. There was no shame, for one thing, in earning a small amount of money. And there was a lot of gratitude, there was a lot of happiness, a lot of pleasure, on the other hand, from giving this thing away. It didn't actually cause him any feeling of financial concern that I could tell. Mainly, he, this was a place that valued acts where you were giving things away and place relatively little value on receiving. And I don't know if this is true, I'm speculating, but maybe if this guy actually ever needed something because that was the value in the village, people would just be giving to him. And so it was such a different way of placing values that really stuck out to me. I want to tell just one more story. <laughs> And I know we're reaching, um, we're almost at 11. And this is one I've told before. So um, this is a story that I mentioned uh, last month when I was briefly going over all of the various paramis that we'll talk about this year. This is a story, again, uh, it's a Sylvia Borstein story along with James Barris, where they traveled to India to meet this teacher of Advaita uh, Hindu philosophy. And he asked them, well, what do you teach? And he, they said, well, we teach loving kindness and we teach generosity. We actually focus on generosity. And the teacher said, there is no such thing as generosity. And they were like, uh, okay. You know, they, they were kind of stunned for a moment. And he explained himself and he said, there is only the awareness of need and the natural impulse to address it. If you're hungry, and your hand puts food in your own mouth. You don't think of a hand as generous, do you? So he's relating that to acts of generosity to others. So Sylvia, uh, the, the conclusion that Sylvia Borstein uh, mentions in her book is when she's not confused or frightened, she's able to respond to needs beyond her own. Right? She's not in this kind of closed up state. And that's true for me. When I think of my financial fickleness, right, that I mentioned at the beginning, it happens because I'm feeling insecure in a moment. And who knows where it comes from? It varies from like day to day sometimes, you know, when I'm giving a tip in one place or another. I can just be feeling comfortable at ease and I can be feeling tight or scared in some way. And those things will make a difference here. So I, I can relate to that. And 
I, I, it also, what stands out to me in this story is this delightful sense of connectedness, right? Like, imagine if, you know, there's the pleasure of eating food, right, when we're hungry or drinking water when we're feeling thirsty. We can all relate to that. What if we could feel that level of pleasure when we gave to someone else? Because we were giving to a being that we felt totally connected to. So I think that's what's behind that story. So yeah, takeaways here for me. I think there's a real case for feeling the benefits of one's generosity. That's, I think, what I failed to do in the moment when that, that uh, fellow student was talking to me um, after... Yeah, after the retreat. There's a lot going on in that story. You all pointed out other things. But one of the things that was going on there is that I was hiding from the pleasure of thinking, wow, this person really benefited. And I think the hiding has to do with a certain cultural emphasis on humility that I kind of internalized. Like, I didn't want to see that. You know, we don't have to flaunt our generosity publicly. That may feel uncomfortable for a variety of reasons, but including maybe making other people feel uncomfortable. But I wonder about doing it privately. I wonder if really reveling in moments of generosity would actually just make us more generous. And it would do it for a really pure reason, the reason of feeling that someone else got something really good and feeling the connection to that person. And through that connection, feeling good ourselves, that sort of mudita, that sympathetic joy that feels like a really wholesome way of experiencing generosity. And again, one of my takeaways here is this question, like what can we learn about our own cultural value of sort of, you know, wanting to, wanting to hide this? What, what's, what's behind that? I'm still in that inquiry. And also with the story in India, what can we learn about a culture that values giving more than the receiving, right? Anyway, I'll leave you with that. I've gone over time already. So um, we can talk more during the breakout group. I really wanna hear other folks' ideas here. Um, I think there's a lot of fodder for breakout groups. Uh, so we'll break out into groups of three or four. Um, so I'll leave you with whatever thoughts you have about whether and how any of these stories have touched you, this can be your prompt for what to share. And I'll give a moment now, if anyone needs to leave or wants to leave, um, that's fine. Um, you can leave. You can also even come back after the small breakout groups if you want to be part of the uh, larger group discussion that will occur at 11.15, 11.20. All right. Are we all back? I think we might all be back. Well, there was so much to say, and I got to read all the meeting chat comments in more detail uh, during the break also. So um, I apologize if it wasn't a lot of time in the breakout groups today, but I wanted to mention two things. One is there's this time now uh, where we're going to have an opportunity to share anything with the group. Um, I want to mention also um, before, I, I probably should have mentioned this before the group, that uh, anything that was said in a group um, is intended to be held in confidence. So 
if you want to share something that came up that came up during your conversation, keep it to what is personally uh, about you. If it's if it's a response to someone else's story rather than telling the story, you can say how you felt. Um, but just to keep in confidence, uh, whatever anyone said within the group um, as part of our process for now. Um, I also wanted to say another thing, which is I think we have clearance. Um, I'll look to the other LDLs to stay. Is it, are we clear for anyone who wants to stay beyond the end of 1130 to stay longer and chat? That's something we're allowed to do at this point. We're totally allowed to do it if you as the host is willing to come back and then close. When yeah. At the end of, you know, offering mm -hmm. 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever. Yeah. I'm happy to do that. So then I'll also mention this. For anyone who wishes to stay and continue the discussion, um, the room will be open beyond 11.30. And I'll probably hit mute and stop video. Um, and so I won't be there as part of that discussion. I, I Well, maybe I will. I don't know. I, I probably won't. Um, but you will be welcome to stay for another 30 minutes and chat. So hopefully that will also be an opportunity for anything that wants to be said that wasn't said uh, to get out. With that, I want to open the floor to any thoughts or questions, comments, ideas that have come up that anyone wants to share. You can raise your hand again by hitting, yeah, by hitting reactions and raise hand. Um, that's probably the easiest way to do it. Sean, or is it Bruce? It's, it's Sean. Sean. Oh, hey, Sean. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to share. I'm going to share this. Take take a chance and share this, um, because it's probably not going to be a very popular view amongst the Buddhists and all these little boxes. But I had a reaction about the the guy in India who makes close to three hundred dollars a year and I don't know where he got all the extra money from to spend on this wedding. Now, I got the joy part. I did. And I'm sure that this is probably all connected to my own conditioning about generosity. But I was taught that you don't spend more than you have. And so did he go into extreme debt by doing this? I mean, this is what I feel happens in our world. We just spend billions of dollars that we don't have. Mm -hmm. Is that really generosity or is that foolishness? Um, I don't know. Yes. But that was my reaction. Great. So not very Buddhist, I know. No, I, I think this is really within the realm of what we're discussing here. And I'm glad you had a reaction. I'm glad you brought it up, too. I appreciate that. Um, I'll tell you a couple of things that I just happen to know because I I had all this data. Uh, he That was his money, meaning it was money that he had in an account that he could give. So he wasn't taking anyone else's money. But he also had debt. Right. Um, so he, he also had debt. So there's a, it's a mixed and a complicated story. Uh, but one thing I want to mention is I just want to call this one thing out, which is you don't live beyond your means. In, in our society in particular, because there isn't the same sense that if you were to need something, that it's the responsibility of everyone around you to take care of you in that moment. Now, 
you can even think, was he being irresponsible to the group, right, in that case? Like, you know, was it responsible to the group of people? If they are indeed going to take care of him, if he has no money and needs something later, to have had this wedding and to have given all these things. That's an open question. I, I think uh, that's a reasonable direction to take it in. Yeah. Yeah, it's complicated here, right? Uh, I do want to emphasize also that what really struck me as food for thought, and I'm not reaching a conclusion here that one way is better than the other. I really genuinely am not. But it was food for thought to me that I was so totally wrong that this guy was embarrassed because he hadn't made money and really needed to show that he was still like a big shot in the village and had thrown this massive wedding for that reason. Like, he did not care that he had made that amount of money. And he was clearly not doing this because he wanted to pretend he had more than he did. Um, it, was, it was not a secret at all that he had made that amount of money. And it really did speak to a value difference. Like there was no shame in having received so little. And there was a lot of merit, perceived social merit in having given so much. I agree, there's some complicated questions about whether it was a good idea. Yeah, Pauline. Hi. Um... So I am going to speak from the the culture where I was uh, brought up in China. Um, that when when the there's possibility that you know the Indian culture and Chinese culture might be similar when it comes to weddings. Um, when when we throw a wedding in China, it's uh, also an opportunity where the guests the guests will come with red envelope money. So as gifts, <clears throat> it's very common to receive money in weddings in China. Um, versus here, you, you know, you can receive gifts. Like you set up a registry and you get gifts. But in China, it's money. So you get these gifts of money, and then usually the money that you collect from a wedding may be a wash with what you what it costs you or maybe more. So it's a cultural thing. Um, and, of course, wedding is a big deal in China. And... Um, and it's a generational thing because um, the whole family kind of go through this cycle. You have a kid that got married and you collect money from everybody else in the wedding. And then the next kid that come to age and then get married, then you in turn gives your money back when you go to their wedding. It's kind of like a, it kind of goes through generations and everybody kind of is a wash. <laughs> yeah. So that's just want to speak from that perspective. Yeah, thank you. No, that's an interesting perspective. And it's it's really it's it's always helpful to hear how other traditions of generosity and giving, you know, add to the picture, right? It's more food for thought. It's more to think about. Yeah. Yeah, we, we tend to give gifts here and they may not be those huge amounts, right? And in India also, in some India is complicated. There's so many cultures, but there are definitely cultures, I mean that's true in China too. Um there, I've definitely seen cultures where the norm is to give money as opposed to gifts. And I've definitely seen it where the amounts people spend and give at a wedding are proportionally all larger than incomes compared to here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Julie. Hi. Thank you. Oh, you muted yourself, or you're somehow muted again. Sorry about that. Um, 
I just wanted to say thanks for the great talk and all that food for thought. And I was thinking a lot about some of the things you said, and I was kind of wondering, um, you know, something that was brought up on last Thursday night was there were a lot of really interesting things brought up. Um, but one of them was the idea that the generosity is very much, a, it, it's a lot, a lot of it's about, you know, and, and, uh, reciprocity in the sense, not, maybe that's not the right word. The fact that you're giving, but you're also receiving. Mm-hmm. And the fact that in your story, you didn't allow yourself to receive. You, you cut off that, that loop, you know, that keeps, whereas, um, the guy in Sylvia's story, you know, he was just basking in that, that loop and he didn't want to have anything contaminated. And that was just the other point that I wanted to bring up that, um, I was just thinking about how, and, and this is related to a story that I told in our group where for me, uh, there have been times in the past when the, the, the topic of generosity, uh, has come with, um, so many conceptual overlays on my part that it just sort of destroys the, the purity of it, you know, the value of it. Um, and then the third thing I'm going to point out, uh, that really came up for me on Thursday night that is so darn simple, but, uh, it, it just felt like an epiphany to me is really thinking about how generosity in general and the feeling of generosity, um, to take it out of the individual acts, the list of individual acts and think of it more in terms of focusing your attention inwardly instead of outwardly and just meditating on that was just really valuable to me. So that's all I have. Thanks. Oh, I really want to interrogate that further. The focusing inwardly. Uh, can you say that again? Focusing inwardly instead of? Yeah, sure. So I just, you know, I had a lot of tension around, um, around, the, the topic of generosity for a while, because I I was going through a period where I was not feeling generous at all. I had all kinds of life stuff going on and I was so contracted and inwardly focused. Um, and then there's the conceptual overlays. I'm beating myself up. Why can't I, you know, feel all this the way other people feel? You know, it just gets this tangled mess. But the inwardly versus outwardly to me is something that, you know, I've find that like in meditative practice focusing on like and and you brought it up too like this this with the analogy of the hand feeding the mouth you don't think of it getting into the mindset of we're all just one big connected organism of mm-hmm. energy i mean basically and and that's something that is better experienced through meditation than mm-hmm. you know um, putting words to it. Mm-hmm. But I just found that kind of meditating on that idea of like the Mahayana tradition, they talk about emptiness and, and that kind of idea of we're all connected. You know, we're not individuals. Um, and that really opens up a feeling of wanting to be generous. I don't know if that was helpful yeah. in any way. But. No, it, it, it is. Yeah, I think I know what you mean by the inward nature now. And I, I agree. Um, 
I think it's through meditation that I've deepened a sense of connection. And I feel like there's so much further to go even. Mm-hmm. And that story of the hand feeding the mouth sort of lets me see the possibility, what, what could be possible. Um, Jerry, I see your hand up too. I also note it's 1131. What I want to do is this. I want to give anyone who has anything to say the opportunity to do so still. Um, and I think I saw Maria's hand come up and down um, as well again. Uh, but what I want to do first for anyone who needs to leave it uh, right around now is I just want to finish with updates and a message of, and the offering of metta so that this is closed properly for everyone else. And then after that, anyone who wishes to stay, we can stay. So I'll continue with that and then hold your thoughts until then. Um, so updates. These are things going on in Sims in the next couple of weeks. Um, there are three things that I saw worth mentioning, and I'll leave some space for any LDLs who know of anything else going on uh, in the time that I might not be aware of. On February 10th, so within a week, um, there will be a retreat on Buddhist meditation and Quaker worship. So this is in partnership with uh, the folks at University Friends meeting uh, the Quakers who own the space and who we've been running from um, to sort of to, to look at to look at both of these practices together, which I think is a wonderful opportunity. Uh, the following weekend, February 17th to 18th, uh, Rodney Smith will be giving a day-long retreat, or sorry, not a day-long, a weekend retreat on both of those days titled All About Boundaries. And then the following week, February 24th, there will be a day of mindfulness so this is an opportunity. So this marks the end of um, two beginner classes, uh, one on the east side and uh, led by Steve Wilhelm, and one over here led by Tim Guile. Uh, both are ending and culminating in a day when all of the students who just finished the beginner class will be there and given an opportunity to practice for a day. And it's an opportunity for those who have been practicing or are part of this sangha to meet with them, to join them. Uh, so it's a lovely it's a lovely way to connect if connection is one of the things that speaks to you uh, as we've been talking. But those are the things I had on my list for the upcoming month. Is there anything else I've missed that anyone knows about? Okay, then what I'll do now is I'll mention a, a word about dana, uh, appropriate for a, uh, a month on generosity. Um, so uh, these teachings are always offered freely, regardless of anyone's ability to pay. If you wish to support the livelihood of our teachers, or if this aids you in a generosity practice, you can make a donation either to Sims or to individual teachers uh, through the website. And let me post the link. Is the link in the chat and I would I would say in, in kind of the spirit of today uh, I would encourage you if you are if you are going to donate uh, maybe tap into the merit tap into what the act of giving uh, how it may be received right what what that might give to someone and also uh, feeling it for yourself right? Feel, feeling what that act so perhaps an opportunity to practice. I'll end with an offering of metta.
and I'll ring a bell at the end. And then after that bell rings, of course, you'll have the opportunity, if you wish, to stay with May we awaken to the truth. May we free ourselves of unnecessary suffering. May all beings awaken to the truth. And may all beings be free of unnecessary suffering. 